Okay, so as I said, I'm excited to do this with all of you. Um, and we've been looking forward to this study for a while. So let's jump into, we're gonna kind of, today we're gonna focus on an, an overview of the stud, of the, uh, the council and kind of uh, move forward from there. I tried to blow up the wording on these PowerPoint slides as much as I could. Um, in my office, they look a lot bigger than they do out here. Um, which is always the case. So today I try to blow some of them up, but I will, I will stand and this sun is killing me because it's following me. So, okay, so from uh, 1962 to 1965, the bishops of the Catholic Church gathered for what was the 21st ecumenical council. So there were 20 other ecumenical councils. Uh, now ecumenical means the entire gathering of the church. You also have local councils and regional councils in the history of church, but this was the 21st ecumenical council. Uh, what was given to us by the council fathers at the Second Vatican Council established the modern foundation for Roman Catholics' understanding of the church and the renewal that followed. Whenever someone hears the words Vatican II, they automatically think about the changes that happened in the liturgy following the council. However, while these changes are noticeable to many of us, they are not the most important points to come from Vatican II. The council was different than, most of the, than all the councils that had preceded it because the Catholic Church didn't need to address any major crisis of heresy, as they did at Nicaea, Ephesus, Trent, and many others. Vatican II was, uh, was called by Pope John XXIII to address the pastoral needs of the Church, However, doctrine was solidified as well. The primary goal of the Second Vatican Council was to help everyday Catholics understand more completely the truths of Jesus Christ and how to live these truths in the modern world. That was the primary goal. Again, that everyday Catholics understand more completely the truths of Jesus Christ and how these, how these truths, how these truths, uh, how we live these truths in the modern world. Now again, there was nothing, uh, there was no heresies. That's the big thing about Vatican II. All the other councils, as I said, a lot of them came out of, um, like with Trent, was the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Ephesus was uh, the, Nestorian, the Nestorian heresy uh, in the 5th century. Uh, Nicaea and Constantinople, the Arian heresy. Stuff that rose in the church over those years. The church had to gather, the bishops had to gather and answer those questions. Uh, but in this council, there was, no, there was no particular heresy. In Understanding Vatican II, Part 1, we will read the first four promulgated documents and examine exactly what they say to us as Catholics today. We will disperse the many myths and false teachings that were taught to many of us following the council. We will come to a deeper and more complete understanding of Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. I, am, uh, I will be 44 next week. And I am uh, in the same boat than, than with all of you. It is, even though a lot of you could be my pa a parent of mine, um, it's, it's, I'm in the same boat. A lack of understanding of these documents. Um, you know, and with the liturgy, and when, we, when I talk about that at the end about Father Will, I'm going to give you kind of my personal testimony when it comes to the liturgy, uh, just briefly. Um, but it's, it's, again, a lot, when I read these documents in grad school for the first time, my whole understanding of 
everything that people had told me for years, including priests and bishops and, and other lay people had told me about the Vatican Council, all of those myths that were, I was told, all were kind of, I mean, the walls just came down. And I was just like, wow. Especially when you read Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document on the, on the liturgy. You know, all these things you've heard for years uh, never actually was written in Vatican II. So Pope Francis, on October 14th of 2013, said the following. So many people have fallen away from the church. It's a mistake to put blame on one side or the other. In fact, it's not about talking about fault. There are responsibilities in the history of the church and of her men, in certain ideologies and also in individual persons. As children of the church, we must continue on the path of the of Vatican Council II, stripping ourselves of useless and harmful things, of false worldly securities which weigh down the church and damage her true face. So again, and you're going to hear me say it numerous times during this, this, this uh, overview. Um, people didn't read the documents, and they weren't given to us correctly, but we can't focus on that negativity anymore. We have to move forward, read the documents ourselves, and start to study and actually see the other documents that came from the, uh, came from the other documents. Question. The 13, October 14 and 13, sorry, I, I flipped them. The, the correct date is October 14, 2013. Yeah, I flipped the dates. Thank you. I will correct it, yeah. Okay, so the timeline of events, I know it's, I know it's small, but I'm going to also read these to you. So look, let's first look at the timeline of events. So January 25th of 1959, Pope John XXIII announces the council. So on your handout, your fill-in is going to be the dates. Pentecost of 1959, a central prepar uh, preparatory commission, known as the CPC, develops 75 schemas or working documents. You'll hear me mention that term, schemas, uh, throughout this study. Those are the working documents. So at first there were 75 working documents, which were then reduced to 20. The CPC consists of members, consultants, and pariti. Pariti were theological experts who assisted bishops in creating documents. One of the paritis at Vatican II, you might have heard of him. Father Joseph Ratzinger, a.k.a. Pope Benedict XVI. So he was one of these Paritis. A lot of the documents were written by Pariti, by these, by these scholastic, um, pre, most of them were priests, um, that wrote, so they, so that when, when the information was gathered by the bishops, members, these consultants, and, and this happens all throughout the council, when they're meeting in the council and they're having these discussions, ha they have notes, and then the Pariti takes those notes and they kind of formulate the document. Then the document goes out to everyone that worked on it and they make their changes and then the Pariti then, it's a lot of work for the Pariti. Uh, it's something, it's, a, it's, it's, very, it's very much scholastic work. Uh, December 25th of 1961, 
Pope John XXIII formally convokes the Second Vatican Council with the Apostolic Constitution Humani Salatus, uh, Salutus, Sal Salatus. My, some of my Latin phrase, I, I can pronounce the majority of these documents, there's like two I can't pronounce. Salutus, yeah, Humani Salutus. So the council, he convokes it. All right, so continuing on, October 11th of 1962, the council opens. The first official prayer is Veni Creator Spiritus. Come Holy Spirit. October 11th to December 8th of 1962 is the first session. Discussion focuses on the schema on the liturgy. Then in June 3rd, beginning of the summer of 1963, Pope John XXIII dies. And then 18 days later, Pope Paul VI, June 21st, of 1963, Pope Paul VI is then elected. For those of you that don't know, his first name was Giovanni Battista Mantini. I see that I can say. And then October 30th of 1963, after a vote by the bishops, the restoration of the diaconate and permanent order is put in place. Now there are other time, uh, there's other events that are also occurring. It would have taken me four or five, maybe even six slides to get through them all. So I'm just, I'm giving you kind of the meat of it. That's what we want to do is give you the meat. Yes, ma'am. The, de uh, the de deacons. Yeah, so the restoration of deacons came in Vatican II. So those of you that, um, like Jan, your husband was a deacon. I think there's some people in here, your husbands are studying for the diaconate. Uh, so, yeah, I know, yeah, I know your husband. So, uh, so yeah, so I, it's, so that's, that's the, that came, that's, that came back after Vatican II. Um, okay. And then the last slide, so then uh, we've got September 29th to December 4th of 1963 is the second session. And September 14th to uh, November 14th to November 21st of 1964 is the third session. And then September 14th to December 8th of, eight, of 1965 is the fourth session. Now, here is something I think that people don't, you know, this may be, I'm not saying you, I'm just saying people in general, uh, is that for those three years, the bishops just up and left their diocese and went to Rome for three years. Well, they, they went during these weeks, but they didn't go all th for three straight years. So they, you know, these, they have these sessions, okay, in, in more of the uh, latter part of the year. You notice they all start, uh, at least the, the, the second, third, and fourth, um, and while well, even the first session starts in October, that was the latest start. Uh, they all start in the latter part of the year into the fall. And then December 8th 
1965, the council solemnly closes in St. Peter's Square. So that was the, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. So that's a basic timeline. There are other things that occurred, uh, but for our purpose, this is a good timeline of events. Okay, so you've got two key figures in the Second Vatican Council. You've got now Pope St. John the John John, Pope John the Twenty-Third, and you've got now blessed Pope Paul the Sixth. So let's focus on John the Twenty-Third first. When John the Twenty-Third called for the Council, the Second Vatican Council, the world was shocked at his announcement. The big question was why? Why now? What's the purpose of, of this council? Again, there was no, there were no heretical, uh, there was no heresy coming from within the church, so the church didn't have to answer any kind of questions. And just to note that, too, as I say it to you, all those early church heresies that happened all throughout the early church, they all came from within the church, not from the outside. Arian, Nestorius, all those guys were either bishops or priests. They were, they were Catholic at one point, and then they, then they, they rebelled and, and, and broke away. Not broke away, but they decided that they had other teachings and knew better than the church. Uh, the theme that John XXIII wanted for the council was promulgated in his opening speech of the council on October 11th of 1962, Gaudat Mater Ecclesiae, Ecclesiae Mother Church rejoices. He states that the Catholic Church is called to teach, govern, and sanctify to the world, which is, which is a basic understanding of, uh, of the church. And that's those, those words are in the catechism in the Catholic Church today. As stated already, there were no crisis in doctrine or heresies as there were in previous councils. There was also no real need for dogmatic definitions. However, what the church needed was to apply the teachings of the church already present and for the future to a different world, a modern world. The question he asked was, what do we need to do to make our faith deeper and more lively? What do we need to do to make our faith deeper and more lively? There was a great need and desire to state doctrine in a relevant way, but without changing what, what was and has always been taught by the church. Without departing from the truth, the way we presented doctrine needed to be updated, but not changed. This is very important. The updation, how do we teach it? Not changing the doctrine. How do we present it to the world but still keep the same doctrine that we've taught for close to 2,000 years. That was the focus. How do we bring this to a world, a modern world? The vision that John XXIII had for the council included three points. First was awareness, that the church is aware of itself. So that's a big, what does the church say about herself is what we'll talk about for two weeks uh, in February on Lumen Gentium. 
We're going to do Lumen Gentium's parts, chapters 1 through 4, and then 5 through 8. That document specifically says, what does the church say about herself? Gaudium et spes is different. That's what the church says to the world. We'll talk about that again shortly. Renewal. Once we become aware of itself, or the church, we then reform. And then the dialogue is have an open conversation with the world. So it's it, because all these documents, they all have these, this, this vision, awareness, renewal, and dialogue. We see this in, the, in, the, in the, all the council documents. When you, when, so when you're reading them, keep these three words. Maybe you have like a little notepad or something and have these three words. Because there's always kind of what are we saying to the world? Um, how do we say it to the world? Like when we, when we look at, uh, two weeks from today, we'll look at Intermerifica, which is the document on social communications. It's the shortest of the documents. The council fathers, and you'll hear me say it in two weeks, they had no idea what communications would become 50, 60 years after the council. I mean, at that time, computers filled rooms. Now that's a computer. So I mean, think about the technology that we have to evangelize. Um, you know, and, and as much as John Paul II traveled in, in, during his papacy, these were kind of just on the cusp of his death. Really? I mean, I forget when the first iPhone came out, but it was probably in the early 2000s. Um, so these ideas, these, the, you know, the smartphones, really to have the technology to tweet and to do, you know, all this social communications, all this stuff. Now, that, social communications isn't just social media, it's TV, radio, all of that stuff um, that, we, that we focus on. Question? Well, that was why it was, it wasn't as if the church had ever changed. It always professed everything. But that's why John the 23rd was, maybe, this, maybe we need to approach this modern world in a different way. But still keeping the same doctrines that we've always maintained for years. Okay? Not changing the teaching on the Eucharist or changing the teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because um, when we get to Lumen Gentium, there's a whole chapter on Mary. Um, and right. Sure. Well, that was the, that, and that was the whole point is that we, we wanted to bring meaning to our life. What what is it? What does it mean? Okay. Pope Paul the sixth. So after the death of John the twenty third. Pope Paul VI becomes Pope during the Council. He essentially picks up where John XXIII left off and continued on with the Second Vatican Council. There was one major question that had to be answered during the Council. How do we go about imp uh, implementing the teachings of the Council once the Council has ended? Pope Paul uh, Pope Paul VI and John the 20th, and John Paul II, excuse me. So Pope Paul VI and John Paul II 
both struggled with this question, although many wrote documents on how the teachings are to fit into the church today. Uh, Benedict and Francis uh, have also done this as well, but there's still that question is, how do we, how do we in, uh, implement, I put implanting, that's the wrong word, uh, implement, uh, but how do we implement these, uh, these documents into the church after the fact? Now, the one, the, now, that question, with all, and we'll talk about it at the end because it's on the back sheet of that, uh, of your, uh, the back sheet of your handout, is that the, um, the doc, there were a lot of documents that John Paul II wrote that kind of fed from the Vatican II documents. So like even in the future, for future sessions, probably next year, Father Will's gonna talk to you about like, like the priestly, um, kind of like the training of priests. He'll, he'll talk about the Vatican II document, which we still want you to read, but he's also gonna focus on the documents that John Paul II wrote. We'll, we'll get to that at the end. Um, so some of the council and others in the church saw this to be a time, uh, a chance to change the church's doctrine. Most especially the moral teachings of the church that focused on sexuality and contraception. So there was a there was a contingency within the council among some of the council fathers to change these moral teachings, uh, sexuality and contraception. There were some that wanted the all male priesthood changed as well. Um, what happened was confusion and upheaval and every parish and every diocese was greatly affected. Uh, many people left the church and others simply just drifted away. During this time, catechesis was very poor and many Catholics were never, tr never truly learned about their Catholic faith. It wasn't anything the council did or did not do, but it was based on the way the documents were implemented and more precisely, they were never read. Um, so the big thing too, you have to remember, whoop, you have to remember is, sorry, uh, so there was this underlining agenda for some at the council, change the teachings. Pope Paul, Pope Paul VI resisted. That's when we get Humanae Vitae, okay, which is actually its 50th anniversary is, is this year. Um, and we're hopefully Joyce, uh, not Joyce, um, Katrina Zeno might be out here in the fall to uh, give that talk on that, on that important document. Um, and that's still a document. Now remember, it's the 60s. So um, this, this upheaval, this, this revolution kind of attitude was permeating all throughout the entire world. And the church wasn't, wasn't guarded against it. Um, and you still had some that wanted to change these teachings. Um, and again, it takes literally, and I know this is probably hard for some of us to believe, it takes 50 to 60 years for uh, documents to be implemented into the church. Uh, it's for them really to take hold and for us to see the fruit that was planted in the council. So that's why we're starting now, years later, you're starting to see the fruit of the council come to fruition right now. And even though we were poorly catechized, on the bright side, the teachings of the Second Vatican Council have started to correctly be uh, implanted by the church in more recent years. Um, you know, so that's what I'm saying. 50 to 60 years uh, now uh, is for starting to see the fruit of what was what was in the in the council documents. 
Uh, and then catechesis is much better these days, as this course and this program are the, are the perfect, exa of, uh, perfect examples of that good fruit. While we still have a long way to go, especially teaching Catholics about the liturgy and how the church properly sees it, things are improving on a daily basis. So we're really we're seeing things in a in a different in a different way now. Um, again, programs that, like this, like Porta Fide, that's exactly when when Father Will had the idea, had his vision, sometime in the beginning to middle of 2013. The whole reason was to provide better catechesis for Catholics that did not receive good catechesis when they were younger. And I'm, um, you know, again, we're all kind of in that boat together. Um, so that's the whole point of all of this. All right, let's look at the documents of the Second Vatican Council. The reason I'm doing this is because I want us to, for whatever reason, a year from now, you decide to move and you're not here for the study, okay? You can't make this, you know, I'm going to kind of go over all of these documents as a, a general purpose. Now, again, uh, most of them uh, I can pronounce. There's a couple I can't pronounce. I'm still trying to get through. Now, I mean, at one point I could never say Sacrosanctum Concilium. Now it rolls off my tongue, Okay. So uh, some of them, um, all right. So these are the four, we're going to talk about the four dogmatic constitutions. Now, we were thinking about, initially, when we thought about, we thought about this study, we were going to try to do all four of the constitutions up front. But once we started looking at the size of them, and Lumen Gentium and Gaudium et Spes are big, it would have taken, it would have, I think you all would have ran away and never came back if we had done all four constitutions at one, at one time. It just, it's a lot. There's a lot of information there. So we're going to do them how they were promulgated uh, during the council. So the first one is De Verbum, my favorite of all the documents. It's on the Holy Scriptures. So it's the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation. It defines the Catholic understanding of divine revelation, which is both scripture and tradition. It, it shows its beginning, the transmission, the various forms, and the importance in the church today. And it was promulgated on November 18th of 1965. It's actually in my car right now. I have my little, ver like my single version of it. Because you can buy this, the big book, and then there's all these different little single versions. My single version, I think there's maybe 10 lines that aren't highlight, highlighted with, 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 a, with a yellow highlighter. Because I read it seven different times in graduate school. And I've read it since then. And you just continue to make notes. And as you study more and more, and as I write more and more on my, on my blog and on the website, there's things that come in my head. So I always just write them in the... And that's another reason why we got these bigger books for you, too. The margins are big, so if you want to write notes, if you want to, you know, if you want to have things in there, the margins are better for you to be able to write. Because there will be times where, you know, throughout the study, we might actually go and read some of the document itself. And, and you know, and maybe you want to put notes in there that we give you. Um, but I love Dave Verbum. It's awesome. I've written on it. I've written, and I'm actually giving a talk 
about Verbum Domini, which is Benedict's document, which I've done here before in the past for a Saturday morning speaker series. I'm actually giving a talk on Friday to some teachers up at uh, John the 23rd. Uh, the next uh, constitution is known as Lumen Gentium. So I give you the, the I give you the abbreviations too, because if you're reading the Catechism and you see DV or LG, you'll say, "Oh yeah, that's the document." That's when you start to learn the document, um, the, uh, the the uh, initials for them. This is the dogmatic constitution on the Church. The fundamental doctrine of Vatican II explains what the Church says about herself, which was the main focus of the entire Council. It answers the question, what is the Church? Or, how do we understand the nature of the Church today? Promulgated November 21st, 1964. This, this doc, I, that's another great document. I, just I mean, Dave Arum's my favorite. Lumen Gentium is probably my second favorite. So, uh, this was the one that, it's, it's, it's essentially ecclesiology. It gives us the understanding of ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the theology of the church. It's the study of the church. It is another fantastic, fantastic uh, document, which you'll, we're going to focus on Lumen Gentium as part of this first study. And you'll read it in parts. Uh, light of the world. So all these documents. So I give you, I give you, I give you a hint as this, as when you when you go, you can go through them all tonight after maybe you go home or you go to adoration or continue to do some study on your own. All of the the word, all of the verbiage, the the title of the document comes from the first sentence or first paragraph of the of the count of the document so tonight when i go through these maybe tonight or sometime today go go find the, the beginning paragraph beginning sentence and you'll see what the that's what they all kind of stand for all right third one is sacrosanctum concilium again i struggled used to i could never say this one and now it rolls off the tongue like it's, uh, like it's nothing. This is the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. This was the one when I read it, my mouth hit the floor probably 10 different times because I'm like, wait, that's not, that's not what I was taught. That's, no, I was told this. No, nope. so important. It gives the general principles of renewal regarding or related to the official communal worship of the Catholic Church the sacred liturgy. That's the one Father Will will focus on next week. Number four is Gaudium et Spes. It's the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. It complements Lumen Gentium, the nature of the church, Gaudium Spes explains the mission of the church both in its principles and the public life of the church in the modern world. Promulgated December 7th, 1965. Now, we'll talk about it in a few weeks, but Lumen Gentium and Gaudium Spes were both one big schema. They were one big working document. 
Eventually they were split into two because they were so big. Lumen Gentium says, what does the church say about herself? Lumen or Gaudium Spes is, what does the church say to the modern world? How do we go out into the world and preach the gospel in this modern world? John Paul II loved this document because he was, he was actually a big part of the document when he was at the council. He quotes this document, I believe, more than any other document of Vatican II in his writing. Now remember, JP II, it said, it has been said that he, has, he wrote more than all the popes before him combined. And that includes Leo XIII, who wrote a ton as well in the late, the late uh, 19th century. Um, and and the, a lot of the, our 20th century popes wrote a lot as well. But he wrote more than everyone. There are some popes out there that, that didn't write anything. Um, There's some popes that didn't do much, actually. Um, but so JP2 wrote a, a lot. This document was one that he quoted quite a bit. Our, I, I give you something that's very, very in the, in the forefront of all of us right now. Our youth, our, our parish, the high school youth evangelization is called GS24. GS is Gaudium et Spes. So uh, that's where our, our, youth, our youth evangelization for the high school kids gets its name from Gaudium et Spes. Okay, so those are the four big ones. Those are the big boys. Now everything else kind of comes from there. Mike? Yes, okay, so thank you. Yeah, 24. You'll notice the numbers are the paragraphs. Sometimes they're also referred to as article. So it's paragraph 24, okay? Like uh, Intermorifica, I think, has, I don't know off the top of my head, it has like 12 articles or 12 paragraphs. It's very short. Dave, Dave Verbum has 26. Some of the other ones have a lot more. Okay, so those are the, those are, the, those are the big ones. Now, everything else kind of flows from these four. All right, so the next one are the, decree, the decrees of the council. The first one is Orientalum, Oriental, Orientalumium. Ecclesi, ecclesium, ecclesiarum. So, there you go. All right. You always have a know-it-all in the class. Okay, so, all right. All right, so, just kidding. All right. Baseball season's coming up, so it's time to, so. This is the decree on the Eastern Catholic Churches. This is our last study for this first uh, session. It complements Lumen Gentium. It extols the dignity and specific place that the Eastern Rite churches have within the Catholic Church. These churches are fully Catholic and are in full communion with the Pope. They have their own rites that are rooted in the ancient traditions of worship. So this is not the ortho these are not Orthodox these are the Eastern rites that are under the umbrella of the church. If you go six miles, seven miles, 
northeast of here, you've got St. Thomas the Apostle Byzantine Church here in Gilbert. It's a Byzantine rite. It's part of the Eastern Church, but it's under the umbrella. When you walk in, you see a picture of Pope Francis, just like you when you walk into our church, you see a picture of Pope Francis. They still show that allegiance to Francis. Um, and I'm hoping that our presenter will come and speak on that um, on the rights. Uh, but it's you can go there for Sunday Mass, okay, for the, for the liturgy, and it will fulfill your Sunday obligation, okay? Now, if you've never been, it's like going, you'll be like a deer in the headlights because it's very different than, the, than the, the, our liturgy, than the Latin liturgy. Very different. A lot of standing, a lot of sit. Oh, there's a lot of standing. Um, there's no kneeling. So during the consecration, they stand. So it's, uh, but it's, it's a beautiful rite. So I'm hoping our presenter, if, if, if our presenter doesn't come, then I will focus on it. I'll, I'll, I'll cover it in the best I can. Because uh, I've gone to a variety of Eastern Rite churches for, for Mass. Okay, the next one is the decree on the apostolate of the laity. Apostolicum, and then acutitatum, right? yeah. See, there's a, I think that's the only, that's, there's maybe one more I can't fully pronounce. This is the decree on the apostolate of the laity. The first document of its time in any ecumenical council, since it's focused on the role and mission of the laity in the church and the modern world. Now, there's a chapter in Lumen Gentium that focuses on the laity. And then from that chapter, you then have this bigger document. So that's, that's, that's the, and, I, and at the end, I think I have it listed. JP2 then also wrote on the laity, which I've given that talk here at the parish as well. Number three is Christus, Christus Dominus. Now these three, three, four, and five are all kind of together on your paper. Christus Dominus is the decree on the pastoral office of the bishops in the church, promulgated October 28, 1965. Number four is Presbyterium Ordinus. That's the decree on the ministry and the life of priests. And then number five is the uh, Perfectate Caritatis, the decree on the appropriate renewal of religious life, promulgated on October 28, 1965. These three documents, this is all on your notes too, as you're writing these down. These three documents expand Lumen Gentium chapters three and six. And they explain how the bishops, priests, and religious in their vocations live out the ministry of Jesus Christ as priest, prophet, and king. Now these, again, that's why I've got it listed on your handout. These are the, the three that are kind of associated together. 
Number six is Aptaptum Totius. Five's right there. All right, so I'll slow down. You guys are writing these down. Okay, Aptaptum Totius. This one is the decree on priestly formation. Gives new direction for the effective formation of priests, how seminaries are to be, how to properly train, stresses the importance of spiritual and pastoral formation. Another interesting, doc, very interesting document. Now, John Paul II has really um, expanded on this. So that, that council question that Pope Paul VI, how do we implement it, how do we bring it to the world, um, is really, now we're seeing it in these. So that's the question I think a lot of people don't, well, how do we impl implement these documents? Well, they're, they're getting implemented now through these other documents that were written after the council by a lot of them by John John uh, John Paul II JP2 is a big part of it hold questions till let me get through this slide number hold questions till I get through this slide okay so number seven is Agentis uh, Divinitus The decree on the missionary activity of the church outlines the ongoing mission of the church to propose and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. For those specifically who have never heard the gospel or responded to the message, it is to build the local churches on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So kind of expands a little bit more of Gaudium et Spes. How do we bring Remember the church always proposes always proposes what Jesus Christ gave us what the church gives us proposes not imposes You either accept it or you don't accept it It's a proposal Every Wednesday audience by the popes in recent years is a proposal. This is what we teach. This is what the church understands. Um, we don't impose the gospel. We propose the gospel. And again, that was to probably, there were times where in certain missionary lands, things were done not well or not correctly. Um, sometimes you get that, you know, because, be, because certain people, certain missionaries knew they were good at proclaiming the gospel, but they weren't the best administrators. So they couldn't administer, you know, their, their administration skills weren't the greatest. So sometimes these things get over the course of history, I mean, even like a lot of the explorers, um, Father Will might have explained that to you before, even with like Columbus, he was an explorer. He wasn't much of an administrator. So the way he did things wasn't the best because he didn't know what the heck he was doing in that role. 
you get that as well. So the church looks at some of these, and that's what we're getting this, where we're like, we, we bring the gospel to the world, but we're always proposing the faith. It should never be imposed. Number eight, unitatis redentratio. This is the decree on ecumenism. A document of major proportion. It's a mandate for all Catholics to actively engage in the restoration of Christian unity. It gives directions and outlines for participation in the ecumenical movement. Now, this is interesting because nowadays people take this and it's the reunification of us with the Protestants. But when this document was written, this document focuses on the reunification of us and the Orthodox. That's, the, that's really the... Um, now, if it comes with... Uh, and I remember my professor saying this very clearly. Um, if it comes with everyone else, well, then it comes. But this really, this document, when we talk about ecumenism, we're really... And that, again, it's a term that gets thrown, away, thrown around, uh, kind of like social justice. That's another term that gets thrown around. But th when we talk about ecumenism, we talk about the re reuniting the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church as one. Uh, that's, really the, that's really the focus. Uh, because, um, and now, since after that, so this document opened up a lot because if this is 65, then in 67, you get Pope Paul VI that lifts the excommunication of the East of the Orthodox churches, and they lift their excommunication of us. Because when the when the when the when the split happened, when the schism happened, both both sides kind of excommunicated the other. And so Pope Paul VI lifts those, he lifts the excommunication of the Orthodox, and they lift it on us. And then from he, he started working closely with the Orthodox. John Paul I was only Pope for 33 days. JP2's work and Pope Benedict's work with the Orthodox has led Pope Francis to now be able to go to some of these Orthodox um, patriarchs and have dialogue with them. So that's really the work that we see. That document is a big part of it. So if you're interested in that, that's something we'll eventually focus on. Um, but that's another, that's an important document. And then lastly is Intermorifica, which I will talk to you about in two weeks. This is the last of the decrees. This is the decree on the means of social communication. Presents the Catholic understanding of proper use of modern forms of social communication. It states that Catholics must engage the modern world with all forms of media. And again, we'll talk about this. It's very, I mean, the stuff that we have, the media that we have today, the, the ability to reach. I mean, I, I'll give you an example of this, and we'll talk about it too. It, you know, my blog, the other night, there was somebody uh, from Kenya that checked out my blog, Okay. I mean, little old Tom Perna in Gilbert, Arizona. <laughs> and now that we have the, the homilies, we have the homilies on our parish website. We have them on iTunes. We have them on Google Play Music. We have them on Player FM, which is another website. And we also have them on Spotify. 
So if you have Spotify, you can listen to our, our, our homilies and the Saturday morning speaker series. Father Will, one of the homilies that he gave was listened to in Vietnam. Okay, now which isn't, okay, maybe, uh, but, but still, there was a little island, I had to look it up. There's this little African country off the, like, this side of Africa, or the, the eastern side of Africa, this little country, I never even heard of it. It's this little island. They list somebody on that island, listen to one of our homilies. <laughs> through one of those social, through one of those platforms. I mean, that's crazy. I told Father Will that. He's like, that's, that's, he goes, he said, what was the name of the country? I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Some little island. Some, but it's an, Af it's considered, I mean, it's out by, it's, 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 I think it's further out than Madagascar. It's like on the eastern side of Madagascar. Now that I know where, I know where that is from the movie. From the, the, uh, from the, from the, from the cartoon. But, but these islands, I mean, they're listening. So that's the, that's again, that's that document. So I've written about that numerous times. We'll get that in a, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. That class won't be as long as that'll probably be the shortest of all the classes. Cause that document's pretty short. All right. And then lastly, let's look at the declarations of the council. And these are essentially statements on the Catholic Church's mind at this time. Okay, and there were three. So there's Dignitatis, Humana, Humanae, thank you. Which is different than Humani Vitae. Humani Vitae is Pope Paul VI. Don't confuse these two. This is the, direct, the Declaration on Religious Liberty. Using both reason and divine revelation explains the importance of individuals and groups so they can express their religious beliefs and to worship and it explains the limits of these rights as well promulgated December 7th, 1965. This one also, John Paul II has a big hand in this. What was going on in the 60s all, all through parts of Europe? Socialism, communism, the ability not to express, I mean, they would suppress your faith, arrest people, so religious liberty was important for all those bishops coming from the Eastern Bloc, from Poland, Czechoslovakia, Bulgaria, all those, all those countries that were under, behind the Iron Curtain. All those countries, this, is a, this, is, this document also is important for us today because as, as Catholics in the United States, you know, it's getting harder to express your religious liberty. Now, our Supreme Court is, is, is following the law and actually uh, you know, giving us certain rights. But this is an, an important document. That's why we've had all these four night for freedoms uh, in the summer, praying for religious liberty. I just, wrote a I just wrote an article about it last week on my website about religious liberty. Um, and we're actually gonna have one of the Vatican, oh, the, uh, the, the February 10th uh, Saturday morning speaker series is actually gonna focus on religious liberty and immigration. Nostra Atate, 
the Declaration on the Relationship of the Church to Non-Christian Religions. So ecumenism focuses on the, the relationship with the Orthodox as well as the Protestants, but trying to build that unity with the Orthodox and trying to build unity with the Protestants. But remember, that main focus is the, the Orthodox and the Catholics. This now is on the relationship of non-Christian religions. It explains how the Catholic Church understands non-Christian religions, specifically Judaism, since Christians share in spiritual traditions. So it, it talks about other non-Christian religions, but the main focus of this document is the Jewish faith, is Judaism expresses that Catholics must have respect for these religions because of the truths they do hold. The document says that no discrimination or persecution could come upon these religions, which is something that, you know, especially with Judaism, uh, you know, we've seen Catholics over the centuries attack Jews, but, and, and I'm hoping that Jeff will be able to come in and, and give that talk uh, give that teaching when we when we get to that document because he knows it very well and he actually spoke about it uh, what was the year here it was the beginning of 2017 and he mentions this document but the popes have always condemned any kind of persecution of the Jews um, even going back to the Crusades the later Crusades which were really hired kind of hired swords or hired guns not that were not, not that there were guns yet, but these, they were, you know, they were kind of like these guys that hired out. They were persecuting Jews. And then during that time, you even get the Pope saying, stop attacking Jewish towns, okay? Your fight is not with them. It's with, it's, it's, it's with, uh, it's with Islam. It's not with them. So, you, so that's a document that really focuses. And again, since that document, um, our relationship with Judaism has changed and has gotten better. Most importantly, because of John Paul II and John Paul II's relationship with Jewish children and Jews growing up. So many of GP2's friends as children were Jewish. Some of his, you know, and they would co they'd, come to, they'd come to Rome uh, when he was Pope. So that relationship, again, is, is from him. And then the third document is Gra uh, Gravissimum Educationist. Educationist. Oh. The Declaration on Christian Education proclaims that all people have the right to an education. Each Christian to a Christian, each Christian to a Christian education. Explains the basic understanding of goals and purposes in education from a Catholic perspective. Gives an account on how parents, the church, school teachers, and civil authorities participate in the role of education. So those are your 16 documents. 
Those are the doc now, there are other documents that preceded the council, and we'll talk about some of those at the end. And don't worry about it, you don't have to write those down. Some of you look like you're, I've never written, I haven't written this much Latin in years. All right, well, but you have to learn to, you know, to use the proper, you know, when I, when I quote stuff, okay, my pronunciation of a few of these is not the best, I will admit. I, I still struggle with them. Um, most of them come roll off my tongue, but it's glad that there's someone here that can correct you, okay? <laughs> Again, that's like a, pa a parent, okay? So, um, but it's, but these documents, so those are your documents. Those are, um, those are your documents of uh, that, again, a lot of people, some of you probably never even heard of some of these documents before today. Um, you know, so you're learning things already in this first class. Okay, so these were some of the primary themes and topics in the council documents. So I kind of give you the titles, but here are particular themes that we see. Because maybe the titles don't give you these, you know, the, the, the whole title doesn't give you. So you get marriage and family, culture and social life, the understanding of respecting certain cultures, respecting certain social lives, economics and political community. We get like a, a moral basis of authority. Obviously, we're going to talk about the seven sacraments. Intermorifica brings up media. And even in the 60s, media was pretty much television, but not everyone had TVs quite yet. Maybe, some, maybe by the 60s, people started to have TVs. But TVs, radio was still huge, okay? Um, and newspaper and magazines. That was really your communication, your, your social communication. So media has exploded since then. Um, we also get the Eastern Rite, Catholic churches and ecumenism. There's the idea of the office of bishops. What is the bishop's role? What's, the, what's priest, uh, priestly formation? What does religious formation look like? I'm hoping for that one, that's actually, that's the one I think we focus on that one next year at this time. I would love, or maybe in the fall, depends on uh, what we do in, this, in the fall in the morning. But um, I'd love, love, love to try to get a sister, um, having, um, she's spoken here before. She's the head of the religious office at the diocese. And there's been documents, you know, other documents, and we'll focus that about. We'll focus on that at the end. From that come from these other doc, from these documents that hit these themes. Christian education, the non-Christian religious laity, 
religious liberty is big. That's a big, that's that, that, that last, that one of the, you know, Nostra Aetate, that's a big, that's a big uh, document because of, and then, and then missions. That's another one of the themes that you get, that you get mission, people going out to the missions. And not necessarily going to Africa uh, or other parts of the world to, to be missionaries. And you've heard me say this before. I used to say it to my students all the time. We're, we're, mission, we're, we're missionaries today, even as, we, uh, even, even as we live in this world. Um, so those are your, your primary themes. Okay, so what did the Second Vatican Council teach? Well, it first teaches the big thing is orgenamento. Yep, uh, this, is the only, this is the only one. You guys will be all right. A-G-G-I-O-R-N-A-M-E-N-T-O. Orgidamento. This word means to bring up to date. It has nothing to do with bringing up to date church doctrine. But how we teach, how we communicate and apply those teachings. Again, no doctrine changed in Vatican II. It was solidified, actually. So one that comes to mind when I think about this is that there's no salvation outside of the church, which is the church is professed. That's still true. Lumen Gentium mentions it. We'll talk about it when we get to Lumen Gentium, but there's specifically, there's certain truths in other religions that allow someone to still be in the fullness of the church. But we still believe there's no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. We still believe that. It's still Lumen Gentium. You'll, individuals will say, oh, no, they took that out. Nope. You'll read it firsthand in black and white. This other word, is, the next one is called resourcement, which this word means a return to the sources. The Council Fathers balanced the updating with the retrieval of some of the lost practices of the early church. RCIA is actually a fruit of this effort, how RCIA is done. Because if you look at, like, Jerome, Augustine, uh, who else is out there? Um, well, those are the two that come to mind off the top of my head. You look at the way they catechize people, it's very similar to our RCIA program. Now, what was different is they would give you all, so let's say a, a pagan, non-baptized individual came to the church, in the early church, they would baptize you and then give you all three sacraments. Then they would educate you on what you received. And then from there, after that, then you would still even dive deeper into the mysteries, which we know as mystagogy. Um, so we took what the... The other thing, too, the resourcement, the idea of this, you see a lot of the early church fathers' teachings in Vatican II as well. So, so much, so much of the early church fathers, which is a, a mountain of resources to begin with, too. 
Another thing was the universal call to holiness. Everyone is called to perfection in the spiritual life, not just for priests and religious. Now we say to ourselves, enough of you have been through our studies here, where you say to yourselves, duh, okay? In our baptism, duh, we're called to be holy. But at a point, there were individuals that believed that holiness was only for the saints and religious. So many of the saints in the course of the history of the church are priests and religious or bishops. You know, when, 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 we started, when we started canonizing lay saints, it was like, oh, kind of the light bulb went on. Wait a second. You know, you think of like Gianna Beretta Mola, who was a doctor. Okay, her husband, they'll probably canonize him at, at some point too. You got different, so, so keep that in mind. Universal call to holiness. There's also a renewal in the church. It begins by understanding God and the nature of the church as well as our, as well as our imperfection. Understanding God and the nature of the church. What does the church say about herself? It's hard for us to go into the world if we don't know what we're saying about ourselves. And again, that's what Lumen, that's what Lumen Gentium does. So I like ecclesiology. I'm like kind of a Catholic nerd about it. I love ecclesiology. Ecclesiology, like Marian theology, obviously. Um, but I love ecclesiology because it, it, it's very clear, it's very precise, um, and it kind of lays out exactly what, what, what our roles are. Another thing we see the changes in the liturgy. Again, Father will focus on that next week. The liturgy is our source and the summit of the spiritual life. The Eucharist is our source and our summit. Which a lot of you probably have read in the Catechism, or maybe have read in other studies when they quote the Catechism, but all of that comes right out of, right out of the Second Vatican Council. So next time you pick up the catechism or you go home and pick up the catechism and you look at the footnotes, especially the big green one, well, the little white one has them too, but they're harder to see. Um, you need these things. Um, but uh, you go through and you start looking at all these, all these titles and all these documents, a lot of them you'll start to see comes, uh, comes from Vatican II. I saw a hand go up somewhere. Yeah, the Eucharist. I mean, that's a, it's the same. I mean, kind of means because the, the, the litur in the liturgy we have the Eucharist. So the, the Eucharist is the source of the summit as well. Yeah. Yeah. So within the liturgy we have the Eucharist. I'm just yeah. It's it's the term the terminology sometimes but when we talk about the liturgy. Most in, when we liturgy is not just the mass. It's also our like when we do. Um, uh, well, now specifically um, the office of readings. So yeah, I mean that's prayer, but it's a pr but you you know off the idea of when you that's 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 liturgy as well. Well, our when we think liturgy, we automatically go right to mass. Uh, there's oh, 
uh, okay, yep. Dialogue with the world. That was one of the, uh, remember, one of the points of um, John the 23rd. When we engage the world and the culture with the truth of Christ, we can help renew both. Even as hostile as it is today. But it's always been hostile. We just see it more often because of these. Because of laptops and computers and tablets and stuff. We see stuff. I mean, the world's, it, it's always been bad. It's been bad since the time of Christ. But, you know, as communication has changed, when stuff happens, you know, you know, this morning I woke up, I think I, I got up a lot earlier than I usually do, because uh, I think this study was on my mind and I was itching to go because I couldn't wait to get here. Um, but, you know, there's stuff coming on even right now. There's notifications of news, like there was an earthquake in Alaska this morning, big earthquake, 7.9, okay? Well, years ago, it would take maybe five, six, seven hours sometimes to get to that, you know, maybe or now it happens, it goes on the website, and, and if you receive notifications from that website, you're receiving it. Uh, also, there was a call for the laity to reform the temporal order. The temporal order is that the church is the servant to mankind. Now the laity assist in this mission to serve people and society. So our role becomes important. Remember, there's, I, there's a whole, there's a chapter in Lumen Gentium on the laity, and then you also get, there's a whole document on the laity, the importance of our role. We share in that role, which is crazy to me to think that years ago, there were a lot more Catholics in the pews, and there were a lot more people going to church, but you only had maybe a priest or two and a couple lay people working in the office, but the priests were doing everything. Now we have less people in the pews. Well, not in all churches. I mean, this place is packed. But, but then we have all these lay... I mean, if I wasn't here, Father Will would have to hire someone to do this. Or one of the deacons would be doing this. So the clergy would be doing this. It all, that's why our role is a ministry. Chris, direct, our Chris Straczynski, Director of Marriage and Family Life. If, if Chris wasn't here meeting with couples, the, the clergy would be doing it. But because there's such a great need of a parish like ours... We just can't, your father doesn't have the time. Your father doesn't have the time right now for his regular stuff that he does. And then throw that on top of us. So that's why the role of the lady plays an important, uh, we, share, we share in that, that mission to serve people in society. Um, okay, so there's other, there were other changes. The most visible were the changes in the mass. So there were, so this kind of is that on that sheet of your paper, there's an empty part uh, on, that, on that sheet. This kind of gives you just, this is all, I didn't know what to put in there, so I just kind of let you, whatever you wanted to write. Some of the other things that changed, um, most visible uh, came to prayers and actions. So we went from, we went from the Tridentine Mass to a Novus Ordo Mass, but there were changes that happened in the Novus Ordo Mass 
when you look at, well, I have father will get into it, it's very interesting. Stuff that I had to kind of change my opinion on after being taught incorrectly for years and having my own opinion of what I thought it was. But when the church said to me, this is what it is, I'm like, well, if I'm gonna work for the church, I have to be obedient to the church. Uh, there's the vernacular language of the people. English, French, Italian, etc., Spanish. We start to see that. Right. Yeah. Well, now, now it's interesting. You're going to read in Sacrosanctum Concilium. In that document, it says the, the it can be in the the mass can be in the in the vernacular language because it was in the vernacular one time. Father will explain it. Vernacular. Then it went to the Latin. Now we went back to the vernacular. But what Vatican II specifically states is that most Catholics, or not most Catholics, all Catholics should know the mass parts in Latin. You'll read it in Sacrosanctum Concilium. That was one of the, when I read it, I was just like, I was shocked. Because I was like, that's not what I was told. So when I'm reading, I mean, literally, I went to Father Dan. I was just like, this is unbelievable. And he's like, yeah, because no, he goes, you're reading the documents for the first time at the age of 34, okay, 10 years ago when I started grad school, and you're reading it, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm shocked. Because things that you were told incorrectly actually never happened. Act, a call to active participation from the congregation. Now, this, this, this term was used to change many things that were not meant to be changed. This, that's a term that gets blown out of proportion. It does not mean, and Father will explain, hopefully we'll talk about that next week, but you'll, you'll see what it actually with the term, you'll see that term in, in the document on the liturgy. Um, Catechesis on the liturgy helped the lay faithful have a better understanding of the Catholic Mass. The big thing was also the read and use of scriptures more. Not that the church got away from ever teaching the scripture. You know, before Vatican II, everyone's like, oh, we never talked about the scriptures. Catholics don't know scriptures. The whole Mass is full of the scriptures. Okay? It has been for years. Um, but it was a call for the laity to understand the scriptures more. So, again, it's one of those myths that were like, oh, we, you know, oh, you know Catholics, we never believed in the, you know, we didn't focus on the scriptures, okay? We may not know specifically scripture verses. A lot of us, we know stuff through the seasons. Uh, through the seasons, or specific, like if I, you know, if I say two, two, two boys went to their father and one took their spoils and, and ran off to a foreign land, We'd all know that was the prodigal son. Okay, so we know these, we, you know them, may not know scripture, verse, and chapter, but that was the understanding that the, the use of the liturgy, I'll get to questions in a second. So um, the use of more, more use uh, of the scriptures by the laity. So, you know, there was that call. Oh, I'll, I'll get to those questions in a second. Now, it's interesting that the renewal of the liturgy, which Benedict used to say, we are in the renewal of the renewal nowadays, 
But the renewal of the liturgy actually began years before the Second Vatican Council in Belgium, Germany, and in France. And you're talking going back to the 40s and the 50s where they were permitted at times to use their vernacular languages in the mass. So, very interesting. And again, understanding of the liturgy is still going on today. Father Will will explain more of that next week as we get into, into that document and that, that, uh, that, um, that class. Okay, one question. Well, the, the, the places that had the scriptures were the churches, the, the specific parishes and the cathedrals. That's who had them because they were handwritten. So you had to handwrite them. A lot of them were artistic. They were done by the monks. They were done. So for a long time. So now as you get this in the Vatican II, as we get into this modern world, the understanding of the scriptures becomes more, more, more relevant. Uh, and reading it more and more. Again, the, ma the church never professed that you shouldn't read the scriptures. Never professed that. It's just that people, and again, going back to even the Middle Ages, um, when you go to, that's, that was why so many of the ancient churches in Europe put the stained glass windows in, in art history that's known as the Bible of the Poor. Because you were able to look at the stained glass windows and understand what was going on. Or, you know, and even, even priests and bishops would use those windows in their homilies to explain stuff to a, to a you know, a society that was very illiterate. Um, and it took, you know, so, one more. So, well, I mean, that was your experience. I know people that are your generation that said, I received a great education. 
So it might have been your, your particular experience. I can't, you can't say it was the universal churches professing that. It might have been you, where, 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 wherever you were catechized, that's maybe what their attitude was. But again, I know, I know people in that generation that were well that were well educated. Not that everybody was, but but it you know. And even after Vatican II, the catechesis still wasn't the greatest because I grew up you know you know doing like finger painting of Jesus. You know, it was never really good, any good, solid catechesis. Um, you know, they would mention things here and there. So, all right, I'll answer, I'll answer some more questions at the end, take some more comments. All right, so the last thing I want to focus on is, uh, and this I just gave to you. Uh, so uh, the council documents lead to other documents. And we can just kind of read, these, read through some of these together. So Pope St. John Paul II said that his pontificate was dedicated to properly implementing the documents of the Second Vatican Council. Pope Benedict XVI said his pontificate was an extension of John Paul's, and then Francis said the same about Benedict. Now, you've got these different, now, so I give you some of those different subjects. I give you the title of the doc, uh, Vatican II, and then an arrow that points to other so that first one, Father Will will mention those first two, but you got Sacrosanctum Concilium and Musicum Sacrum, okay? Uh, that comes, that's a Vatican II, that's, a, that's, that's, that's probably in that book, um, the set, that other one, it's probably in the book that you have. Um, those are the two big documents on the liturgy. Scripture, you've got De Verbum, and then Verbum Domini. Verbum Domini was Pope Benedict's document on the scriptures. Social communication, you've got intermorifica, but then you have all these different messages from world communication days. So the church establishes these days where it kind of communicates with the world. And we see a lot of that with John Paul II. Priestly formation or priestly training. There's the two from Vatican II, and then you've got pastoris dobo, dabo vobis, which is I give you pastors. Or I give you shepherd. I, I give you shepherds. Actually, is what, how it's pronounced, or how it's translated. Ecumenism. So you've got the one from Vatican II, Unitatis, and then John Paul II writes Unum Sint. That specifically focuses on the relationship. That document focuses specifically on the relationship with the Orthodox. He's got the famous quote in there that the church must learn to breathe with her two lungs, the east and the west. You got to learn to breathe with two lungs. The church has got two of them. Too many, of, too many Latin Catholics focus on the one lung, and they have a hard time understanding what the second lung is doing. And even in the east, they won't look at the, they won't look at the Latin church. So breathing, that's a famous line in that, in that document. That's the document from JP2. Breathing with two lungs of the church. Um, you've got uh, the church, the two from Vatican II. And then you've got uh, JP2's one on evangelization and a mission of the Redeemer, Redemptus Missio. You've got the laity document from Vatican II. See, this one rolls right off my tongue. Christe Fideli Lecce by John Paul II. Christe Fideli Lecce. 
I've done a talk on that for the Vatican II study. That uh, literally is his document on the laity. So again, when, John, when, when Pope Paul VI talks about how do we implement these into the church, well, a lot of the implementation of the Second Vatican Council documents are coming through these specific documents. And then you've got uh, Dignitatis Humani, uh, 1998 World Day of Peace message by John Paul II. And that's just one example. Uh, JP2 wrote about religious freedom quite a bit. So those are the documents. So these documents, now, what we might do for future studies is we might have you read the document, the Vatican II document, and we'll go through that, but then we might also focus on some of these other documents by JP2 or by Benedict. Um, so you get this implementation of what we see in, in the Second Vatican Council through a lot of these other, a lot of these other documents. So the upcoming weeks are as follows. January 30th, next week, Sacrosanctum Concilium. Uh, make sure you read the documents. Uh, that's the whole point of this series. Again, if you don't understand everything completely, it's okay. There are points of these documents sometimes I don't fully understand. There's things that JP2 wrote that I still don't fully understand. It's okay. I've known, I've known professors in my undergrad days, which was 20 years ago, that were now they've probably been studying Aristotle for about 40 years. I had a professor in, in my undergrad that literally said to me, I've been reading Aristotle for 25 years, and there are things that we're going to read this semester I still don't understand. Okay, now it's Aristotle. Okay, but the church, it, it, it's, it's continue. Just like your conversion and your growth in the church continues, our, 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 our understanding of certain teachings of the church continue to grow and deepen. February 6th, I'll be back for Intermorifica. February 13th and 20th, we're going to cover Lumen Gentium. And then February 27th is the document on the Eastern Churches. Instead of butchering that, butchering that name again, I'm just going to say the document on the Eastern Churches. Yeah, let me do that at the end. Oh. Okay, I'll say this before, and then I'll answer some questions. Um, and go through that, go through the book with you a little bit. When it comes to the liturgy, just be open to what, what, the, what, the, what the document says. Um, if you've been reading Father's articles on the liturgy in the bulletin, it'll kind of be uh, a little bit of a preemptive idea of where he's coming from. My understanding of the liturgy changed in about the early 2000s because I was a youth minister for, um, well, I was, let's just say I was a youth minister. And the stuff that we did in the liturgy, nowadays I look at it and I cringe. 
things that we did before the liturgy, things that we did even in the liturgy. Thing, I mean, it's just, it made me, it makes me cringe now. I did not know anything about liturgy in 1999 when I first started teaching, high, when I first do, started doing youth, youth evangelization, youth ministry. Didn't have a clue. Had never read a document on the liturgy, had no idea what the liturgy said. But once I started reading it, and understanding what the church's heart and what, what the church's heart is and what the church says to us about the liturgy, a lot of things that I once did and thought had to change. They had to change. Um, because it was clear in black and white, especially when I start, especially in 19, especially in 2008, when I read this doc, when I read Sacro Sanctum Concilium for the first time, a lot of my misconceptions as a child and as, even as, a, as an adult in my early adult life, had to change. Um, it may be hard to change, and I know that's a word people don't like, but I, I knew what I wanted to do with my life, and I had to change it. And I had to, I had to understand what the church, how the church teaches it, and how it should be um, you know, implemented in, 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 the, uh, in the parishes. So just keep an open mind uh, when you go into it. I know it's kind of hard, but I'm just going to ask you, when you read, before you start reading that document, if you haven't re started reading it for next week, pray a little bit before. Uh, and just ask the Lord to kind of, you know, be there to help you uh, digest some of, some of it. Um, but it's a, it's a fantastic, argu uh, fantastic uh, document. So, um, and then next week, Father, we'll be with you, and then I will see you all back on February 6th.